Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Emma Carpenter and welcome to my segment where we talk all things college golf. Now, as we know, a big part of college golf is the postseason and who gets the opportunity to compete to to get the chance to compete at a Nash at the national championship. Now, this process of selection is very complicated. So I thought that it would be a great idea to sit down today with the chair of the selection committee for the NCAA Division I men's golf, and that is Connie Hurlbut. I'm really looking forward to just learning more all about the selection process and which teams and which players get these opportunities to compete and also which teams get the opportunity to host a regional and which teams and individuals are going where. So I'm very excited to talk with Connie about all of these things. And I know that you're gonna enjoy the lesson today. that I welcome in today Connie Hurlbut. Connie, thank you so much for joining me today on Five Clubs. Thanks. It's a great, great honor to be here. It's exciting to talk about our upcoming event. You just got back from from an uh, an NCAA men's golf regional in Oklahoma. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, with the, I think it, uh, we had a last minute site change on the men's regional side, where Alabama was unable to to um, act as a host for us this past weekend. And the committee decided to give it to give the opportunity to host to at that point, the number one team in the country, probably still the number one team in the country, uh, Oklahoma. And uh, they turned it on for us really quickly and did a phenomenal job hosting for us and giving a tremendous uh, championship experience to our student athletes who were in Norman for the week. It was great. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I definitely, Mm -hmm. I definitely want to do want to touch on that a little bit more, but, but first, Connie, so you have had over over 30 years of experience overseeing collegiate athletics. I know you worked with women's basketball a little bit. Now you are you're the chair of the selection committee for Division I men's NCAA golf. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that process of, of how you got how you got into golf to be on the committee, on the selection committee for the yeah. NCAA? Sure. Um, you know, I've spent most of my career in, in intercollegiate athletics working for conference offices. And with that, overseeing a lot of conference championships. And when I was at the Western Athletic Conference back in uh, 2009 to 2017, managing our men's and women's golf championship was part of my responsibilities there. Um, And I really loved it. I mean, I I can't really say I'm a golfer. I'm a golf fan more than a golfer. Um, And I really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the experience of understanding more about managing the event. Um, I had an interest then in trying to serve on the committee, which I was fortunate enough to do. It's a, the NCAA has a selection process to serve on, on sports selection committees. So I was um, fortunate enough to be selected. Uh, my first year was 2018, back when the championship was at Karsten Creek. Um, <clears throat> I became the chair, was supposed to be, start the chair in 20. Obviously, with the pandemic, that didn't happen. And my role on the committee, as everyone's did, got extended a year because of that. So I'm in my third year now, my fifth year on the committee and my third year as chair. So it's been a great, great experience and great kind of watching the growth of the game 
you know, with the support that we get from Golf Channel and the and the tremendous um, att national attention on our men's and women's events, it's been really an exciting thing to be part of and watch the growth on a, a more national scale. As a collegiate golfer myself, being being a part of, you know, we've been talking a lot lately, the way women's golf is kind of booming and, and really rising and collegiate golf in general, the way that, you know, uh, obviously the NCAA national tournament, the women's coming up this week and then mm -hmm. the, the men's after for you guys, it's yep. going to be, it's going to get some features on, on golf channel. And mm -hmm. it's just some really exciting stuff that's happening for the collegiate game. So with that being said, I think that something that all college golf fans, golf fans in general, something that is a big part of collegiate golf and the postseason is so much of what your role is and what you do as a part of the committee. And that's the, the, the selection process for, mm -hmm. um, for regionals and which teams and which individuals ultimately get a chance to advance to compete at, at the national tournament. Sure. So there's all kinds as we know with golf, there's so many different factors, similar to other sports. There's, there's a formula, there's win loss record. There's, um, there's strength of schedule, there's scoring differential. Can you explain to me, um, for, we can talk about team and then we can talk about individual. Sure. Can you explain to me kind of the, the process, the formula that goes into which teams are selected for a postseason spot. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. There are a lot of different factors that go into it. You know, it's not just, it's not just, um, our ranking. It's not just win or loss. If you did it that way, you wouldn't need a committee. Um, but you know, the, the committee, we take it obviously very seriously. It's a very important part of our function. It's really the most important thing we do because of the opportunities it affords our student athletes and institutions. Um, you know, we, we, we look at a variety of factors. I think it was nice to have a little bit of normalcy back to the collegiate golf season this year that wasn't there last year. Um, you know, clearly everyone kind of pays attention to their golf stat ranking. Um, and we do have on the men's side that doesn't exist on the women's side, a 500 rule where you, your team needs to have recorded a 500 um, winning percentage to be considered for the field, which is an eliminating factor for some teams that may be high, highly ranked, but again, not, not making that 500 barrier. Um, is that a Connie, is that a newer <clears throat> change? Uh, it, it's been in effect. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't quote it. I know it's something that the men's committee has adopted. As long as I've been on the committee, it certainly predates me on the committee. Um, the women have elected not to do that for different reasons. That would be a question for Julie. Um, but for, for, from the men's perspective, we think it, it just kind of adds to the overall look at the, the whole field. I think one of the challenges as a selection committee to a sport like golf is you don't get a lot of interaction between all the teams during the course of the season where you may in a, in a sport like basketball or football or lacrosse or something like that. It's very difficult. You don't nearly have the head to head comparisons available to you by and large when you're selecting the whole field in golf that you may, <clears throat> excuse me, in another sport. So we look at all those factors. We look at, you know, we look at, you know, how healthy a team is. We look at, you know, see what their lineup is and, see if it's been consistent. And then, then there's, as you said, there's a bunch of factors. Um, I think, you know, again, I think the, the, when you have a metrics like a golf stat, um, it does sort of add a little bit of a, a 
uh, consistent ranking that you can kind of look at because obviously all those rankings affect teams the same way. So you can kind of look at that as a, as a starting point, but I, I want to be clear. And I think we've been clear in the past that certainly not just, you know, straight down on a golf stat ranking, you wouldn't need a committee if you did that. You mentioned consistency of lineup. Can you, um, can you explain a little bit further, uh, Sure. We kind of, you know, we look at that a little bit when even more when it's fall or spring, when you've got student athletes that have may come in and transfer, you'll get may, may what be affecting a team. You know, it's not necessarily one to five, but there is, there is a look at that a little bit just again, as one of the factors it's, 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 you know, more, more yeah, more, more along is, is a team is a team right now playing at its full strength. It's, it's funny. I, I did a, uh, I did a podcast. My very first podcast was with uh, Texas's Cole Hammer, and uh-huh. they were without they were without the 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 Cootie Twins for mm-hmm. the first half of the spring. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Of course, I mean they've got great depth, and they ended up making it to the national tournament. Um, yep. But it's it's interesting to think that you know those two players out of the lineup does make a significant difference. And is that maybe kind of something that would play a factor there? I, I you know, I think, I think it's safe to say, I don't know that it, let me, I'm a, uh, let me try this. I'm a, I think it's a factor how big of a difference it makes. I, it's hard to say it's much more on a case by case basis. I mean, obviously Texas is a very strong team this year. They actually advanced from the Oklahoma regional. So I had the opportunity to watch them play last week. Um, and they are, they are, they're, they're a good, strong team that you would expect to be coming out of a regional. Absolutely. Um, so, so I think I'd, I'd look at it as, as a factor more than a, a cut, if that makes sense. Absolutely. With that being said, like you mentioned, uh, as we're mentioning, there are a lot of different factors mm-hmm. and something that's, I feel like been being brought up more and more amongst players and, and coaches is the idea of strength of schedule. You Mm -hmm. know, some teams have the opportunity to play a schedule, play events where there are a bunch of other highly ranked teams. And if you can pick up those wins over those teams, that's how your ranking can go up or, Mm -hmm. or say, you know, the other way around. So you've got a good team playing and not as good schedule. It's not golf stat isn't going to give you as much credit for winning a tournament if the strength of schedule wasn't quite as high. So how can you describe just exactly how much strength of schedule matters, how much it comes into play in the selection process? Well, I can't describe exactly because again, it's not that formulaic, and, but, but I think it's something, again, we sort of look at as a committee, you know, we certainly recognize that um, the teams that begin the season as the top ranked teams and certainly the teams that are coming off of a successful season, you know, do, do um, have the opportunity to build a different kind of resume. Um, but again, this is a national championship. This is, a, this, is not a, this is not a championship field that we try to set based on someone's performance in the event last year. We look at the results that are right in front of us for this current season to sort of evaluate who we believe um, has earned the right, you know, to participate in regionals. So again, it, it's very difficult to sort of come down with that. It's certainly a factor when you look at um, who people may have had the opportunity to play and how they played against that field. Um, but again, that's part of the ranking that, you know, that's built into the rankings, but it is something that we kind of do evaluate as well. And something else that you mentioned is, so you've been now the chair for a few years and mm-hmm. last year being your first full year was quite different to this year, especially yeah. being that 
I, I know in the fall, my season being in the big 10, my season didn't happen in the fall, but then the sec, those teams still agreed to play each other. And then we all came back together in the spring, but there were so many factors with some teams having to, to withdraw or certain players mm-hmm. not being able to go because they were a contact or tested positive yep. for COVID. Can you uh, explain kind of maybe how all of those, all of those factors and, and situations last year might've made your job more difficult or how it's, how it's so much different this year to last? Well, again, I think there was some normalcy again in looking at um, institutional results this year, because certainly, you know, the whole collegiate landscape, not just in golf, but in other sport, luckily was not nearly as affected by COVID as it was in the 2021 season. Um, you know, we had a process in place. Um, the NCA had a process in place for if a team had to withdraw due to COVID, there was, you know, a procedure they had to go through so that we understood why that withdrawal was. And, and, you know, we certainly had to accommodate that. The last thing we wanted to do was disadvantage a team um, because of where they were playing regionally, what the restrictions of COVID were regionally, et cetera. You're right. The fall season was very different for almost all of, of collegiate, you know, the, the whole season was different. You know, you had the Ivy league that didn't even play. Um, so I, you know, I think we just had to, as, as all selection committees did, we had to take that into account. You take again, the data that was in front of us and whether people had the opportunity to or not, you know, we, we did eliminate our, our, you know, as a, as a, as a straight cut line, we eliminated the 500 rule last year because we really didn't know when we were start when we were starting the season. Um, we needed to cl- be clear with institutions what our what our what our guidelines were, and we did not know when we set those guidelines exactly how the spring season was going to be affected by COVID, especially on a national basis. I mean, there was you know as you know it was pocketed, right? You know, different conferences and different institutions took very different approaches based on the, the health requirements in their, in their region. So it was, it was difficult. Um, I think, we, again, I think we, we did the best we could in a challenging situation. I think, um, you know, our coaches were certainly aware that it was a challenging sort of different year. And I think everybody was very relieved to get back to this season. Not that, not that there weren't COVID impacts on individual teams this year as well, but they certainly weren't to the extent that they were last year. That makes a lot of sense, Connie. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, right, right. I know yeah. it sounds like common sense, but you know, some of those decisions were hard to get to because you, you know, you recognize the impact you have as a selection committee on, on the opportunities of teams and student athletes. Right. And that's yeah, what you, you know. that's the, that's what you want to safeguard above all is making sure you're being fair and consistent. Yeah. And as a committee that oversees all of the, all of the division one schools across the country, where, like you said, everyone, even politically, everyone's got Mm -hmm. all these different opinions. And I can't even imagine how, how difficult that probably was to, like you said, keep things, keep things fair. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, going back to going back to last year, adding the, you know, the whole testing component to our regional sites, it was, it was, Again, if, I think I think I, I can speak for the committee when I say it was kind of nice to go into this weekend not having to be as nearly concerned about some of those um, very important aspects of last year's event, but things that we really didn't have to worry about this year. It was it was nice to and and to see our student athletes be able to compete without that burden. So, with that being said, something else aside from making it 
if you're not fortunate enough to make it to regionals as a team, there is always a chance that if you had a good enough season as an individual, you could mm -hmm. get a chance to go as an individual. Yep. Um, so there are six regional sites and 13 teams at each one, five advanced, as well as 10 individuals. And if correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the top five individuals, not a part of a team who, uh, who advanced go on to make it to nationals. Is that correct? Uh, there, some of our sites had 13 teams and 10 individuals, and some of our sites had 14 teams and five individuals. Oh, I see. So, I see. So, so it's a little bit of a, it's a variant. I, I, I always forget the overall number. Um, but, <laughs> but, but in terms of getting to Greyhawk, um, the top individual at each site advances. I see. Okay. So see. it's the top, from each regional, we advance the top five teams and the top individual not on an advancing team. I see, got yeah. it. So, so the selection for the individuals to regionals is also a very competitive one that, you know, we, we keep an eye on, you know, all, all, through, the, all through the year. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, our, our, our committee is composed of administrators and coaches. And I think our coaches do a, uh, on the committee really provide phenomenal input. And, and, you know, it's not something that we certainly just turn our attention to the week before selection. It's something we're tracking very consistently through the whole season to sort of see where those individuals are and to make sure, again, we're affording those, you know, the, 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 the individuals that have earned the right to compete, the right to compete. That's right. Making it, making it to regionals as an individual is notoriously pretty tough just to yeah being that you can't really um, you can't really have a tournament where you make a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> you have yeah. To, you have to stay pretty solid. <clears throat> well, and I, th you know, I think the other thing, and, and your perspective on this would be interesting for me to hear too, as a, as a collegiate golfer is, I think the experience of competing at an individual at a regional is not, is not an easy one either. You know, it's, it's very different than how you've competed the rest of the season with your team around you. And here you are just you know, you're, you're just posting your own score. I give a lot of credit, you know, to those individuals. And, and I think, I think we have created a good experience for them, but I, I can imagine there's a lot of pressure there as well. 100%, especially. Mm -hmm. So it, it would be tra traveling with, with your coach, mm -hmm. not with your team. Yep. And, um, trying the, the, I mean, the only goal is to advance on to, to Greyhawk, to advance on to the national championship. But like we're saying, you know, you'd have to be the, you'd have to finish as the best individual, not a part of a team. So the difficulty in that is obviously yeah. really high too. And being a part of it. I mean, you can have what, one of the beauties about college golf is that it's individual, but then it also, you know, in college, you can have a bad day and you can still, your team can have your back. And then the next day you can, you can be that person for your team and help your team advance. So yep. You know, luckily, maybe for some of those those players that are on a team that go on to nationals, they might have say they might have had a bad day at the regional. But if they have two other phenomenal ones, they can still help their team advance to the national championship. Yeah, that's right. Julie couldn't do that. Right. That's right. Exactly. You know, again, I think it's it, 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 it's interesting kind of watching them play the individual that advanced from my regional was a young man from South Carolina, you know, and his team was his team was in the hunt the whole time, too. You know, and then they don't make it and he makes it. And, you know, our, our number two, I believe, was was playing as a pure individual. Um, and so it's 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 got to be tough. It's, it's tough because you're right when you it, collegiate golf as a team sport, you've got teammates around you. You can you can ride. Somebody else can have a good day. And as you said, you cannot. 
or <clears throat> not not be the best day of your of your career and and you you're you can still contribute but when you're out there as an individual it's it's just it's just you so again we i believe we're giving them something really great to play for i think we're giving them a a good experience in getting there and certainly including them the the individuals are definitely a very important part of our overall championship field and we're we, we like that component to the collegiate golf um competitive setup honestly connie when i look when i go on golf set and look at the regional the regional results i would say it's like it's like 40% exciting and 60% like heartbreaking. Cause you can't help, but look at like, like yeah. you said, there's that, there's that individual who came in second place and the individual who's advancing his team was so close. I'm sure he would have, would have much rather have gone yeah. to Burdock with his team. <clears throat> you look at right. all the teams who miss out by one stroke, two stroke. I right. mean, for a person, a stroke in a single round, a stroke in a three days is a ton, much less four people combined. So yeah. it's, it's, when I say a ton, I mean a stroke means a lot, but it feels like nothing. I mean, I hear you. I hear. I, I absolutely understand when you look at the when you look at it from a cumulative and you look at it from the individuals. A stroke is a stroke can be the can certainly be the determining factor, and often it oftentimes is. Yeah. Um, but and especially when it's on a team basis, it may not even be your stroke. Um, right. But it's right. it's you know that's to me that's one of the beauties of collegiate golf is the way people do play as a team. I think, you know, the, the, the looking at the unity of the team and the way the teams kind of gel together, you know, when you get the opportunity to watch them for a couple of days straight, it's, it's an exciting thing to sort of get, get the flavor of it. I saw, I saw at the uh, regional Liberty, Liberty university, they made it by, I think two strokes <clears throat> and three of their counting scores birdied the last hole. Yes. We, I, it's funny. We were, uh, our regional had finished because obviously with the time zone, our regional finished before that was the Stockton regional. And That's we were, right. you know, we found ourselves all staring at the darn uh, golf stat screen with the cut line <laughs> and like, Oh my gosh, look at that. They're moving. You know, and it's, <clears throat> it's exciting. It's exciting, but they definitely came on very strong at the end and they certainly earned their spot. Well, at the end of the day, we talk about one stroke matters and one stroke truly does matter. And those people who, who really, um, we get it done at the end of the yep. day. And I mean, how much, how much determination and perseverance that shows for sure. Right. So right. with that being said, talking about talking about regional sites, um, regional selections are always announced the, um, the first Wednesday of May, but I know that the sites are, are decided well in advance. Yes. So as of now, I know the sites for regionals are decided up until 2026, 2026. So, Yep. yep. So can you tell me sure. a little bit about just how those sites are decided? Yeah. Um, the, the NCA has a bid process uh, and a bid cycle for all of their championship sites. So when, when we, when we, when we as a, a NCA men's golf committee, we're looking at sites for 23 to 26, it's the same timeline that all other sports are looking at site timelines. So it's, so it's, it's look, you know, it's, it's, it's looked at as an entire process for NCAA championships, not just for men's and women's golf, um, because it matters. We wouldn't want to put a regional on top of a softball regional on top of a lacrosse regional, that, that kind of thing. Um, institutions bid to host, um, and they usually put in for any of those three years. If they have course restrictions that restrict them, they're year specific. But most institutions, when they enter to host, they give us the opportunity to select them in any of the three years 
that we may be selecting. Um, and we do that in advance. And there's a component that we look at the course, we look at there, there's uh, you know, an RFP for the bids that includes um, hotel amenities and all the other amenities that kind of go into it. You look at where the airport is, look at ease and all that kind of stuff. So we did our selections, I believe in 20 or 21, I, it's all COVID related now, um, for 23 to 26. So we and all other NCAA championships have sites determined through 2026. Right, and I noticed too that it is a lot of, same with the same with on the women's side, it is a lot of repeat sites. So I assume that, um, I assume that once you've kind of decided that, uh, a, a course, a club is a good spot to host a regional, then it kind of just stays that way. And it's like, well, we don't, we don't determine who bids. Okay. The okay. Institutions always make the determination to, if they're going to bid. I think some institutions, you know, have the, have the infrastructure that makes it easier for them to host. Um, yes, we do go back to some similar sites because regionally they work and because they've proved to be Great, comp, great sites of competition for our student athletes. And they're, they're, you know, by and large, our institutions always have done, in, in, from my experience, not just in golf, but institutions take hosting pretty seriously. They want to do it for, for the advantages it certainly provides their team, but they also are, are very, uh, very aware of making that uh, experience a good experience for the whole field. So yeah, we do get, we do get some repeat sites, that's for sure but we get repeat bidders and we can't control that. With that being said, I do want to talk a little bit about um, this last minute change to the site that was originally supposed to be at Alabama at Old mm -hmm. Colony and then changed to uh, Jimmy Austin Golf Club in uh, mm -hmm. Norman, Oklahoma, the, the regional that you were just at. So yep. can you tell me how uh, and when the committee was informed that that <laughs> Old Colony might have not been in, in proper shape? Yeah, Oklahoma was, or sorry, Alabama was great communicating with us when they realized that because of a, you know, a bad winter conditions and a shortened spring growing season that they didn't feel that their course was going to meet the standards of, of regional competition. Mm -hmm. um, so they let us, let us be aware of that probably in early April. I'm, the timeline's a little bit elusive to me right now. Um, and then they, they, they looked at the opportunity of whether they could actually switch courses and see if there was any other opportunities to host in that region and re retain retain hosting, but at a different site, that became something that couldn't be worked out. So uh, the committee in the middle of April, we decided that we would look at, um, go, go kind of top to bottom with, with how the teams are ranked at that, so at that time and offer it to um, teams in that order if they had the opportunity to host. We had the, again, Oklahoma's, you know, got a great course and some well-known course that's hosted regionals before. Um, they had the, they, they were um, gracious enough to turn it on for us and they, they accepted the bid and, and made the course available and, you know, gave us access to enough hotel properties in the area to, to put the teams up and accommodate the teams and officials and everybody that they needed to. Um, they did a phenomenal job. Can you help me uh, understand a little bit more about how what factors push uh, each team to their respective regional? Obviously, another big factor that goes into who's qualifying to play in the national championship is which teams that you beat at the regional, so which teams you're up against. So can you, can you explain that process to me? 
Yeah, I can, I can explain the process again in generalities. It's not necessarily a, a cookie cutter complete approach, but right. I think the it's one, thing, the one thing we do is, yeah, we, we have obviously our selection board that has our six predetermined sites. We will always put a hosting team at their site. So if you're hosting and if you're in the field, you will be at your site. <clears throat> That's determined. And, and then we do um, a bit of S-curving. Um, you know, to kind of balance the regional. So what, once you have, kind of have those anchors where you have hosts and sites that are combined, um, then you kind of build it along a, an S-curve to try to balance the region. You know, the S-curve is all about balancing the regionals, putting the right, the, the, you know, the right kind of strength, strength attachment to, to the teams. We do deviate from that. We may jump across lines or one line if we think that for different reasons, um, that just makes sense. We don't do that a lot. Is any um, of it, is it, it, is it part of it geographic aside from the, uh, aside from the host? Not, not, not significantly, especially at the top part of the bracket. Our, our real focus, um, I think, you know, when, when, when we're, when we're filling in some of the bottom lines of the brackets, we do, you know, and again, because the, the, uh, according, in accordance with NCA policies, institutions are responsible for all of their expenses to compete at regionals. That's an institutional expense and not an NCA expense. So while we do take that into account, I will say that without a doubt, our biggest, our biggest factor is trying to balance the competitive strength of the regionals, not necessarily on, and, and my example there would be when we started looking at, when we knew that we needed a replacement site for Alabama, you know, we obviously did not um, select a site that was in the Southeast. We, we decided that at that point, at that late time in the season, it seemed like the fairest opportunity was to give it, you know, to, to look at the, to look at where teams are ranked and to, to kind of start at the top. Without a doubt, inevitably, some teams are always going to feel like some people, fans, whoever it may be, might always feel like they might've got a bad draw or that they, um, that they sure. were a tough regional. Is yeah. that is that maybe a challenge that you face um, sure. as a part of the committee of people maybe disagreeing with some of the decisions that you make? We wouldn't be a committee if we didn't have people disagreeing with us. <laughs> um, no, I, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I think I think what we what we do, what we as a committee have done, um, and I'm sure the committee will continue to do, is again work on the balance and understand why we did what we did if we jump a line or move a team across a line. Mm -hmm. um, and, and people will always kind of disagree with that. That, 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 that you know, there's, there's, there's nobody that looks at it through the, you know, everybody looks at it through a different kind of filter, right? Our job as a committee is to try to be as broad and encompassing of the entire field of 81 teams and make sure that we're giving everybody the, the right opportunity to succeed and compete. Also, I mean, data metrics obviously drive most of the decisions that you make. It's, it's not just someone, mm -hmm. someone coming up with whatever they want or because you are in certain support of, of certain teams. Obviously, it doesn't work that way. But yeah. is that off the top of your head, do you have any other, any other challenges maybe that, that you face as being a part, as being the chair of the committee? You know, I, I think the, the one thing I've really enjoyed about this committee um, is I believe the committee has a very good relationship with our coaches association and our coaches. I think we have a lot of um, interaction with them. I mean, we spent a lot of time last year 
obviously with the challenges of COVID, you know, talking to the coaches association and understanding where people were and, and making sure we, we certainly try, don't, don't operate blindly from that perspective. We really try to seek input at the end of the day, it's our decisions to make as a committee. Um, but I feel like we do it with um, a transparency that I think our coaches appreciate. I mean, the, you know, you can always argue there can be more, um, but I think we do it. We're, we're very transparent and open to, co to our coaches. Uh, we meet with them at the, you know, at, at their coaches convention every year, have a great forum for exchange that talks about not just what happened for the past season, but looking forward, what are, what we're thinking of and what the, and get a pulse of the collective. Um, so yeah, you're, you're always going to have people that don't necessarily see it the right way. And, and I respect that everybody comes at these things differently. Um, but I think our, we do a good job trying to foster those relationships with our coaches and have an understanding of, you know, if our goal is again, to, to support and grow the collegiate men's game of golf, I think we do that collectively very, very well. That's great to hear. I'm sure that I'm sure 100% that harboring those relationships is very important. So you, you talk about having great relationships, relationships with the coaches. I wonder, do you have, um, what kind of correspondence do you have with the, the women's golf selection committee? We work with them as a committee, you know, we meet together in the summer. I, you know, again, because of the similarities of the sport, there's certainly things that, you know, Julie and I will, will talk about through the, with the NCA or without the NCA during the course of the season, just to understand, I think when it comes down to, you know, and those are kind of, I would say those are more global things than issues around selection. Um, you know, we work together obviously with sites because we have the, we, we have the overlay of regional sites. Uh, obviously you're not going to put a, you know, a regional most likely at the same course back to back. Um, so we work together with the committee, but, you know, I think each committee certainly has its own autonomy to do with what they think is in the best interest of their constituents. Sure. You talk about having uh, a regional site back to back. I noticed when I was looking at, uh, at the, at the future regional sites that, uh, the Jimmy Austin golf club was supposed to host next year, a regional next year. Um, the, the Oklahoma regional that we've been speaking of. So will that perhaps flip no. flop with Alabama or will that? Nope. 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 They were selected as a regional site for 23 during that bid cycle. And we, we very purposefully did not put any uh, conditions on their, their hosting this year, affecting their ability to host next year. Well, good, good. Mm -hmm. That's, that's great for, that's mm -hmm. great for Oklahoma, especially because like you said, they, uh, they kind of picked up that, I picked up that burden last minute and hosted a great regional. So that's great. Um, so Connie, with that being said, I kind of want to start to wrap things up here. Uh, you're looking forward. I'm sure you're looking forward to um, going out to Greyhawk pretty soon. What are, you, yep. what are you most looking forward to about this week you got coming up here soon? The heat, the heat, the heat, the heat. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, it's, 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 it's a great atmosphere. I mean, I think, you know, when you get there and, and you, and you're, and the, the course is so, heavily populated by all these teams that have earned the right to be there that are excited about their opportunity to compete. It's just, it's a tremendous atmosphere. Um, again, Greyhawk's been a terrific host for us last year, looking again, really forward to going back. I think all the coaches are as well. Um, year two, it's the first time we've done, uh, uh, I believe this is the first time the championship's been held at the same site back to back. So it's kind of exciting for us to have, you know, you, you get through a you get through a championship event. You always have that list, a punch list of, you know, if I was doing this again, I'd do this. We have that opportunity. 
right? We have that opportunity to look at what we learned last year and make some modifications to what we're doing. You know, we're, we're trying to, you know, we heard some, some of the fans about water stations, about shade, about mm. course access and all that kind of stuff. Greyhawk's been a tremendous host and working with the NCAA and the Women's Committee during the course of the year to look at some of those site modifications, nothing necessarily with the layout of the, of the course. You know, it's more just sort of how do we best service our teams and our fans in that site, having the opportunity to do it again at the, for the first time at the same site is, is pretty exciting. You know, there's, there's obviously less, to, we have a lot less unknowns going into the, into next Friday than we did this year or last year when it was a first time host. Um, so it's exciting to see how we can grow the event and make it an even better experience, you know, and just keep working at it being a better experience for our student athletes. That's very exciting for sure, especially because, um, like you said, since it's the same site, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, these college events, so many things, so many, so much preparation goes into making it such a great event. I'm sure, yep. I'm sure that it was wonderful last year and prior years, but so now to be able to do it again at Greyhawk and, and make it even better. That's awesome. That's really exciting. What kind yeah. of, what kind of responsibilities are you, are you going to have during the week? We don't have many decisions to make when we're on site as a committee because it really is kind of host driven. Um, we'll certainly, you know, the committee oversees all, you know, pace of play, conduct, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that, those are things that you hope you don't have to deal with. So it's, it's a good it's a good week to just, you know, make sure that everything's being managed fairly and, you know, operationally things are running. It's more of a celebration, probably. It's more of a celebration and it's exciting for, I think, the whole committee to get there and see the see the culmination of it. You know, we do we do a lot of work and prep and, it, you know, again, it's our goal to, to host it as a first class event. And we were really we felt really good about it at the end of last year. And it's exciting to, you know, have that some of that. So hopefully some of that replication and, um, you know, not it's not stress free. But it, it's very, there, there's a, a great sense of reward when it's, when it's completed successfully. Right. Well, I am definitely going to be looking forward to following along. Connie, thank you so much for joining me today on Five Clubs. I've had such a nice time just learning more all about the selection process and your role and, and all of it together. Like you said, the culmination of all of it coming together and the coming weeks is really exciting. And I- Well, thanks. It's a great time to be a collegiate golf fan because we can all follow along two, two straight weeks of great competition at, at, at the highest level. Absolutely. Thank you so much again. Okay. Thanks, Emma. Wow. What a great conversation that I had here today with Connie Hurlbut, the chair of the NCAA Men's Golf Selection Committee. I, being a collegiate golfer, there were still so many aspects of this process that I knew that I needed to learn and wanted to learn because I know that I'm going to be looking to compete here for a chance to play at Greyhawk next year for a national championship. I hope that you as a fan were able to take away as much from this conversation with Connie as I did. And we wish the best of luck to all of the Division I men's golfers competing at Greyhawk here just in a couple of short weeks. See you next time on Five Clubs.